and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today on the show, we're going to talk a little about spray coverage. If you've got any questions about that or just anything going on in your farm, we'd be more than happy to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Now, if you've got feet of snow on the ground yet, you're probably going, why are they talking about spray coverage today? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, there are people in the United States, and actually a lot of people, that are spraying now or will be here in the next couple of weeks. But then the other side of this is it's the getting ready part that is almost more important than the actually doing it in season part. And what I mean by that is if you aren't prepared and let's say you're going out there without having checked the sprayer, without having checked your nozzles, you don't have the right stuff, then all that work that you're going to do may not make you as much money as it should make you. And ultimately, that's really what we're talking about here. If you spend a dollar on the farm, we want it, that dollar you spend, to make you as much money as possible, help the crop, help your land, do as much good as you can, rather than just, oh, I'm, I'm just getting the job done. So spray coverage is really, really critical. But I just want to clarify a couple of things. First of all, there's a, an enormous difference between when the crop is small, when it's big, and when it's not even quite out of the ground. So we'll talk about that a little bit today. The other thing is when it comes to spray coverage, there are different ways that you can change your spray coverage. You can increase or decrease your spray pressure, increase or decrease your water volume. You can switch spray nozzles. You can switch spray nozzle types. So we're going to get into all those things today. I guess probably the biggest thing that I wanted to say just to start the show, though, because there, it's probably the number one question I get real early in the season. Like right now, when guys are getting ready to spray pre-emerge herbicides in our geography, it's do I need to use 20 gallons of water when I am spraying my pre-emerge herbicide? No, you don't. It's not difficult to cover something that is basically flat. When you stop and think about it, a plant, the reason why coverage gets to be challenging is it isn't flat anymore. It isn't two-dimensional. It's three-dimensional. And now you got to try to get stuff around this plant, underneath the leaves, everything else. It's a real challenge and more of a challenge the bigger that crop gets. But when you're spraying early and you're spraying bare ground, no, you do not need to use 20 gallons. A lot of times in our farm, we're using seven gallons, 10 gallons, something like that. The only reason like this year we're going to be using 10 gallons instead of seven is because it's all fertilizer as the carrier as opposed to water. So I want to haul less water. When it comes to fertilizer, I just want to haul whatever I need to haul. But we're usually trying to minimize the water as much as we can, just so we save time, save money, but ultimately we still have to get great results. So again, we'll talk about spray coverage throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. 
All right, got this one from JB down in southeast Nebraska. He said, all right, guys, I am tired of spending a lot of money on broadcast dry fertilizer when I might only need a little bit of liquid fertilizer right along the row from my seed firmer in a Y-shot. Will I be giving up yield if I do this on my corn acres along with anhydrous and then putting nothing on my soybeans? All depends on how much fertilizer is in your soil. So if it's super loaded up, then you're probably going to be fine for quite a while. Well, Darren's going crazy on his microphone over there. But anyway, I'll just tell you a very quick story. Before that, that I might have been my jaw dropping, Brian. What? Yeah. You can't go with no fertilizer and be fine. Sure let's you say, can. Let's say you're raising, raising high-yielding high soybeans. Well, I mean, you have to think about this, JB. I'm going to do nothing on my soybeans. I'm not going to put as much fertilizer out as my corn's going to remove, and then I'm going to do nothing on my soybeans. Yeah, you're going to go backwards over time. Well, wait, no. You're not necessarily going to go backwards on yield because if you have enough fertility there for, for a years, little while, For a little while. Well, I don't know. That's my point. Who's I, I'm got not, enough I, fertility to do that for years oh, and years and I've years. seen some. I, I have seen some. If, where, you, if you put, JB, if you put manure on for the last 50 years. Yes, and you have and, your ground ridiculously loaded yes, up. Yes, then they didn't get by with that thing. for a while probably. And but. that's where we're going with this. That is one thing. But if you have, let's call it moderate levels of fertility today, or even what most labs and agronomists would call a high for fertility, you can't make it more than a year or two, and your fertility levels are now down to the point where it's impacting your yield. But send us your soil test, and then we can take a look at it. The story I was going to tell real quick is our dad did exactly this before he retired. Well, one year, sure, profitability was great and everything was fine. After that, it all went to went to heck. Uh, basically, grain quality worse, standability worse, yield down. I, I mean, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, why isn't stuff good? <laughs> What do you mean, why isn't stuff good? Because he didn't fertilize, Dad. So as soon as he got done and he share-rented his ground with us, oh, we loaded it up, and he ended up paying half the bill. <laughs> so I, I waited strategically, by the way, until he, he was going to go south for a little while in the winter, and I sent him the bill when he was uh, on that vacation. So he was 2,000 miles away from me when he got the bill. He wasn't very happy, and he chewed me out for literally like eight months straight until harvest. But at harvest, what happened? Of course, we had way better yields, way better grain quality. Everything was better. Darren, you got one more quick one for us before our break? From here? Colleen uh, asking, when you talk about this 50-degree soil temperature that everybody seems to be concerned about, when do you I'm look not. at that? At the warmest time of the day, overnight? That's the problem. Uh, a lot of times in bare soil, you're going to have a 5 to 10 degree variance in the same day. And I've never seen anybody say the average, the high, the low, what are you looking for? So uh, honestly, we're probably looking at what was that average. And if you're planting based on soil temp, you need to do some more things. Where I'm going with this is if you want to plant in colder soils, you need a high cold germination score and you need fantastic seed treatment. You might even need a few other things, a little more insecticide, fungicide, that kind of thing to help your seeds survive that cold weather. Stay tuned. We'll be right back talking spray coverage. Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, three inches from the seed, and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. In stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
Get what you spray for. Results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about spray coverage. And I know, for those of you in the Great White North where it is snowing once again, you're probably like, well, that's a pipe dream. We're not going to be spraying for a long time. Well, you don't have to go too far south. And there are guys already out in the field and rolling. So it's time to think about this because even if you aren't spraying today, you're going to be spraying soon and it's going to come before you know it. So we're going to talk a little about getting the best coverage to make those products that you're putting out there work very well because, let's face it, we spend a lot of time in our fields with the sprayer. We, we want to make sure we're getting a good return on investment. Got Mark Burns on right now with Case IH to talk a little bit about that. How you doing, Mark? I'm well, doing well, and, and uh, boy, I wish I had your optimism that winter was going <laughs> to get out of here anytime soon. <laughs> oh, man, this is one we're going to talk about for a long time, I'm afraid, but uh, but that's okay. We get some of those, and you know what? We needed the moisture. We've been super dry on our own farm, so hopefully some of that soaks in and, and gives us a good chance. Yep, I agree. So um, I guess, you know, you want to talk a little bit about spray coverage, and I think this is one of those opportunities where, um, maybe the, the additional time that we're getting because of the weather here in the Midwest uh, gives us a little opportunity to uh, to give our equipment the once over really before the, the season hits because when it comes, we're going to be uh, pretty much nonstop. Yeah, that's for sure. And you think about how many gallons flow through our systems as we're applying 10 gallons, 15 gallons, maybe even 20 gallons, depending on what you're spraying per acre. Goodness, if you're farming even a thousand acres and you go across the field two or three times, uh, you you've got a lot of gallons that ran through that equipment. There's going to be some wear and tear for sure. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it's a great opportunity to to do some inspections, to do some calibrations, um, looking at those things that maybe folks um, forget about a little bit. You know, to your point, wear items like the turbine inside of a flow meter. You know, the sprayer is only as accurate as the the instrumentation we have and you know if the flow meter is not counting right we're in trouble yeah 
Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, how about on the technology side? And, and this is one that it, it's kind of interesting. And I know you think of Case IH. Oh, yeah, they deliver iron. You're kind of becoming a technology company here. What what technology should farmers be looking at around spring? Well, there's there's a bunch of them, you know, and going back probably some of the, the more legacy products like boom height control and even, um, you know, like a pulse width modulation system like our aim command flex and aim command flex to really – uh, helping sprayer operators do a better job over a wider range of speeds, you know, whole, you know, honing in on that consistent droplet size so we're getting that good coverage. You know, and then some of the other things to look at, probably not a step you're going to take right away for this spring if you've not already done so, but looking at, you know, spot treatment, things like uh, uh, the, the spot spraying technology that's really starting to create waves in the marketplace. Yeah, that's for sure. It is it is exciting, and I, I know there's a lot of farmers that say, man, this next generation is going to have cool stuff to work with. No, it's right now and the next few years here. It's here. I know we're excited about our Ag PhD field day just to show off some of the new things that are going on out there. Uh, where are we at? How far away before we're able to, to start doing this? Uh, hey, there's a weed. Let's spray it. And then, hey, there's no weeds over here. Let's not spray well, there's an awful lot of that technology that's available today. You know, you look at some of the uh, the other OEMs are offering systems like that. Uh, there's a ton of uh, aftermarket installations where you can hang uh, cameras and whatnot on the on the sprayer and detect. You know, what is a weed? What is a plant? You know, for those that are doing uh, the green on brown, you know, there's all kinds of solutions available, and it's you know, it's a great thing to be able to to utilize events like your field day to showcase those things. You bet. All right. So if you're surfing around online, Mark, where do you find more info about what Case IH is working on with spray technology? Probably the easiest place is caseih.com. We've got a whole uh, site set up on that webpage for sprayers and application equipment. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk more one-on-one, uh, visit your local Case IH dealer. They'd be love to talk with you. Awesome. Well, Mark, winter is going to come to an end here eventually. So uh, thanks for helping us out here talking a little spray technology. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Uh, speaking of technology, we've got Jim Reese with us right now at Precision Labs. Jim, uh, you guys are busy, hard at work. What's what's uh, coming out this spring and what do guys need to be aware of when they think about trying to get the best coverage out of everything they're spraying? Wow. What, what a loaded question. Um, not sure where to jump in there, but I'll, so I'll just jump in the middle and try to swim to one side. Um, I think it, it's always right. What's the best or the probably what's the most efficient droplet spectrum size-wise, right? So 160 to 840 microns is really a kind of a sweet spot of where droplets uh, don't move off target on, you know, smaller than 160. And if they're not too much bigger than 840, then they're going to do a pretty decent job of uh, sticking and you're going to have enough drops for good coverage, right? So I think that's something to keep in mind and quite truthfully all the, the nozzles that you generally spray dicamba with are great for dicamba but probably aren't good for many other things even including 2,4-D. That's, you know, that's a good point because we, we kind of switched nozzles when we started spraying a lot of Roundup. And then, of course, now with the, the dicamba and the 2,4-D type products taking such a, a key role for farmers, we've got even bigger droplets. And, man, if you're spraying bigger droplets, getting that spray pattern to be right is a challenge. And then also 
what we're going to mix in there. And there are a number of things that with a dicambo or with a 2,4-D that we can put in to help uh, that product work the best possible. Uh, do those things really make a difference? I know you get to work in this area a lot, Jim. Yeah, actually, they make a huge difference. In fact, um, uh, CPDA, Council Producers and Distributors of Agri-Technologies, uh, has just launched an application enhancement certification program, which is pretty unique in that we focused on the droplets in the, the right size, so to speak, that's that 160 to 840 micron size, uh, and really view those as those would be the, the, the droplets that would be on target, right? And there's a lot of data that shows that uh, different adjuvants can have up to a, a 30% improvement in the amount of spray that you're putting on target. So if you think about that, if it's uh, you know 25, even 30%, and you're making a $30 application, just the adjuvant alone could influence it you know, by, gosh, $10 an acre. You know, an easy number is, what if it's just $5 an acre? $5 more proc going on per acre versus either drifting off or just being too big to be effective can make a big big difference in weed control and really help you get the all your the money out of your application. I hear so much talk about resistance management and rightly so, but to me some of it is just are we getting enough product actually on these plants when you see three great big droplets land on a whole plant uh, I don't have great hopes that we're going to have awesome control, but if I can do a better job getting more product to stick on the plant, in, in general, we, we do control those weeds pretty well. Yeah, you really have to wonder how many of our resistance problems um, started with just poor application technique, right? Not the right adjuvant, or no adjuvant or not the right adjuvant, poor application technique, really big fat droplets, and not very many of them, and uh Boy, it just doesn't seem like it takes long to uh, start to select uh, weed species that are going to be resistant. Hey, a couple of things here since I got you on, Jim, and we got about a minute left. Uh, Brian and I always talk about this a lot. There's a few things that every grower needs to have on hand, and we often forget them. Compatibility agent and tank cleaner are among those products that, if you don't have those, you can find yourself in a, a bad situation real quick on the farm. Well, that's true, too. And actually, you know, just doing a compatibility test, right? You don't need a compatibility agent every time, but boy, when you do. And it's best to figure it out before you have a problem than after, because most compatibility agents, they're great, uh, they're great preventative measures, but chances are they may not always be able to fix a problem that you've already started, right? So once you make cottage cheese in the tank, it's going to be hard to reverse that. So... Just doing a quick compatibility test and following the right mixing sequence goes a long ways. And then, of course, I can almost guarantee you, anytime you're mixing ammonium thiosulfate with anything, you're going to need a compatibility. Oh, man. As soon as you say ATS, that's, that's uh, yeah, it's tough to have that work well. Uh, we're speaking with Jim Reese good. here with Precision Labs. Uh, Jim, uh, we got to run, but love to talk to you again down the road soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. You bet. We're talking about spray coverage on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car. Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah. 
Her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real. But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non HPPD corn pre herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Spray coverage is our topic today on Ag PhD Radio. We welcome your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or your emails, radio at agphd.com. We also welcome our friend Nick Flights from Pentair to talk a little about spray coverage. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me on. Well, we got a lot of different products that farmers are putting out there in their fields, uh, whether it be pre-emerge or post. Right now, we're getting a lot of questions about the pre-emerge products, Nick. And and when when we talk about this, there's a lot of debate in the industry. Do you need a lot of volume when you're putting out these pre's, or do you just need great coverage? So I think the, the answer really depends, and I think it depends on a couple things. For a lot of these products, you know, I think about – uh, soil moisture for activation. And if you are in an area um, that tends to have good soil moisture for activation or you've just had good conditions leading up to your application and you know you've got rain coming soon after or you're applying soon after rain, you know, I think that 
the soil coverage for pre-emerge herbicides is less important in that scenario. Because a lot of the products that we're using in North America, they tend to be pretty water-soluble and move with ground, you know, ground moisture into the plants. Um, so I, my caveat or the way I approach it is always if, if you're in, you know, South Dakota, it can get pretty dry at times or you know it's, it's looking dry for a while before you go out and spray, maybe you should look at adding, a, you know, two or three extra gallons to your application volume. Maybe use a nozzle that's a little bit finer in its droplet spectrum to, to try and get a little bit higher coverage. But if you, if you know you've got a lot of good soil moisture for activation, then I don't worry about coverage as much on soil applied herbicides. All right, as we get going in the season, I, I know a lot of guys will be out there early season with small plants, and, and I understand. We want to kill weeds when they're small, but it's tricky when it seems like I'm spraying a lot on the dirt, maybe maybe not so much on these two-inch uh, or four-inch tall weeds. What do you think about that? Is that different than when we're spraying and we've got, uh, say, foot-tall weeds and, and a little bigger crop? Well, it's really important to try and get them. You know, everyone preaches chemical companies, you know, at three inches or less is really important. You know, a lot of the species we're dealing with, with the amaranthus, palmer amaranth, water hemp, your koshas, you know, just a lot of things are getting tough to kill, right? We're getting a lot of resistance issues. And so they're easier to get when they are small. And, um, you know, this time of year, it's, you know, it's 80 degrees in Kentucky today. So things are really starting to grow and take off fast. So you're better off getting in the field when you can, getting them when they're small, even if you seem like you're spraying a lot of soil and not quite as much green foliage as you would like, you're better off to get them when they're small, uh, get them early, and that's really going to, to improve your control. You don't have to worry about getting as high a coverage and really loading things up if you're getting them when they're small, and it's going to help extend your planting window as well, and you're not going to be as hard-pressed um, you know, trying to get the sprayer out or waiting on the sprayer. Nobody wants to wait on the sprayer to plant, right? You want to get in the field when the conditions are right, uh, and sometimes the best way to do that is to target those weeds when you got the chance when they're small before they get upright and growing. Absolutely. Um, uh, I guess uh, before I let you go, Nick, you got a couple of new releases of new technologies that are out there this year and, and are starting to gain some traction. You want to talk about those real quick? Yeah, so there's a new nozzle called 3D90. Um, you may be familiar, kind of heard that term 3D before. Um, this is a nozzle that builds on some of that technology, some of those advancements and performance enhancements we learned with the original 3D. But this is a drift reduction version. Um, it's got a, the same kind of alternating inclines we use that really helps with coverage, helps with that droplet velocity and canopy penetration. Um, so it is PWM compatible, compatible across all sprayers. Uh, be a really good option for systemic herbicide applications. Be really good actually for soil applied herbicides. Uh, design is, is good for soil coverage and it's very free from plugging and clogging issues like we can see a lot of times this year with atrazines, you know, dry flowables, wettable powders, those things that tend to give us some nozzle issues at times. Um, it should be free from some of those issues. So if you're looking for a good drift reduction nozzle, good PWM nozzle, the 3D90 from Pentair High Pro uh, is a good option. You know, away from the nozzle side, if uh, you're looking for some sprayer upgrades, particularly individual nozzle control, uh, we do have some aftermarket 
sprayer upgrade kits called Pro Stop E that can uh, can give you um, easy, pretty easy to install individual nozzle control to help um, help over application, help reduce potential herbicide carryover uh, in your in your point rows and those areas where you're overlapping the field multiple times, and uh, hopefully give a little bit of chemical savings as well. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a huge difference. And then you think about carryover risk and all those kinds of problems. You can solve that uh, by just updating the technology a little bit on your sprayer. Talking with Nick Flights. Always learn something when we talk to you, Nick. We really appreciate having you on. Good luck heading into the spring. Yes, sir. Thank you. Everyone have a good day. We've got Nate Jansen with us right now with CNB Equipment. To talk a little bit about some of the new technology here coming from John Deere. Nate, how are you doing today? Doing well yourself? Pretty good. All right. I was just thinking back to the Ag PhD field day last year. I think I was standing right by as you were talking about this. I'm guessing uh, where you're going with spray technology here. You bet. Yeah. No, you're you're right on there, and we'll uh, we'll be showcasing it again this summer and taking a little bit deeper dive, and and hopefully uh, be able to be running some machines out in the field and and kind of doing a little more live demonstration, so to speak. But yeah, talking uh, just spray coverage and, and some of the technology coming from the John Deere side, there's there's a lot of options out there just like everybody else in the market. And we're really driving down a path right now of making our, our machines smarter, identifying weeds and, and basically weed versus crop in field on the fly and, and doing it quickly and really trying to uh, reduce the amount of total product we put on, get more targeted and and uh, allow us to do more, use more modes of action when we're going out and, and different mixes to, to just try and gain some efficiency and also uh, get away from some of our dependence on some of the older products that we're, we're getting resistance to and, and try and get a little more creative in some of our crop solutions. I like the idea of having smarter machines out there because uh, if you've ever run a sprayer before, you know, man, there's times you're thinking, I don't know if I got enough weeds out here to justify it. And I really don't want to have to spray all this product out there if I don't need it. But to be able to distinguish between weed and crop, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Definitely. Yeah, we're uh, we're driving down the path right now. Uh, going into May, actually, John Deere's ordering program will be opening up and they're, they're seeing spray technologies kind of coming out of beta and will be available a little more to the masses, so to speak, and will be something that uh, dealers like C&B will be able to price and, and help you with chemical programs and what your plans are on, on your individual operation. Uh, we're still looking at corn and soybeans, uh, cotton for the guys down south uh, primarily. So in our, our row crops, 30-inch uh, crops are supported now in the very near future, 20, 22-inch and some of the more uh, other row spacings will be available really pretty soon before these machines show up. And uh, also looking at, you know, being able to hit our, our 15-inch guys and tram lines and, and people that spray at 45 or 90-degree angles to the crop as well. So a lot getting added into that space and really relaying the foundation for kind of things that come next, advanced detection, being able to tell broadleafs from grasses and, and things a little more targeted and even further down the line, being able to identify, you know, what types of pests we're looking at or, or are we talking needing fungicides versus pesticides and, and so forth. So it, uh, a lot of exciting things in the future, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of things we can be doing today and looking at the equipment that guys have on the ground or if they're looking to purchase for next year. Uh, a lot of things we can do from, you know, replacing the technology that's on the boom, um, 
machines that are conventional sprayers today. We can add nozzle control technology, just, just like what Nick was talking about. Um, we can go full on, on John Deere's suite. There's exact apply where you can control two nozzles on, on one boom, giving you really range of control of up to the capacity of two nozzles, but um, as far down as a single nozzle too. So you can really control droplet size and pressure. And, and the biggest thing to me is just creating consistency when you're out in the field doing broadcast applications, when you're going around terraces or waterways, exiting oh. headlands and you're accelerating exactly. your pressure spikes, all those things. Well, I'm just right? thinking as, as you're saying that, Nate, I'm just thinking about some of our odd-shaped fields and rough terrain. Uh, new technology makes a big deal. Nate Jansen with CNB. Thanks. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. At AgPHD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free AgPHD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPHD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. 
We're live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking spray coverage. So just a couple things that we have really seen be effective on our own farm that I just wanted to share with you. I talked a little bit earlier about the difference between a small crop and a big crop. When the crop is really small, you want to make sure you have fantastic coverage, but it, but it's different than when it's bigger because think about it for just a second. Let's say you got a half inch tall weed. How many droplets can you stick on the leaf of a half inch tall weed compared to, let's say that weed is six inches tall and it's got 30 leaves on it already. It's a whole different plant. So where I'm going with this is automatically a lot of people say, hey, you got to increase the water if you want better spray coverage. And I say, no way. That is not true. When you have that tiny little plant, you do not want to increase the water volume because what's going to happen is now each droplet is less concentrated. Since you can only stick a few droplets on that tiny little plant, the droplets need to be more concentrated, not less. And I get it that the the that a small weed is going to need a smaller dose, but it's very hard to even get anything on that small weed because think about it. If you've got just a few little weeds out in that field, how much of your spray actually hits the weed and how much hits the ground? It's a night and day difference from later on when you've got big weeds, you know, let's say you have so many weeds, you almost have crop canopy from the weeds out there. Well, almost no spray is going to hit the ground. So that's where you want to bump the water, bump the pressure, that kind of thing. And you can get by with a little bit bigger droplet when everything is big. When stuff is small, you got to have a smaller droplet and you have to have a more concentrated droplet. So always keep that in mind. Beyond that, the other big thing is spray adjuvants that I wanted to mention because the purpose of a non-ionic surfactant is to spread that that droplet out and stick it to the leaf. So basically you're reducing the surface tension and instead of the droplet like ponding up on that uh, on that leaf, it spreads out and that gives you a much better chance to get the herbicide actually into that plant. Now beyond that, if let's say there's a lot of wax on that leaf, that's where a methylated seed oil or a crop oil will come in because methylated seed oil and crop oil can help you burn through the wax on the leaf. And so when we talk about spray coverage, I realize the adjuvant isn't necessarily spray coverage, but I kind of think it is because I, I know I can spread that out, that droplet out on the leaf better with a surfactant and I can penetrate into the leaf better if, if necessary with crop oil or methylated seed oil. Beyond that, I, I, I guess I would just say when you are out spraying, please always think about what's the worst or I should say the weediest field versus what's the cleanest field. And the reason why I want you to be thinking about that is if you've got a million weeds versus if you have 10,000 weeds, that's a whole different deal. When you've got a million weeds out there, you need every possible advantage because there is going to be a difference 
between 99% control and 99.9% control, or 95% control and 98% control. You're going to really notice it, and it may even impact your yields because you're going to leave so many weeds out there. So what we've always told people is, I want you to think about your weediest field, and you need to spray your weediest field on the best possible weather day, when the weather's been good before and it's going to be good after, so the weeds are very actively growing, they can move the herbicide in and everything else, you want to spray that field the most timely. And you might say, well, I can spray all my fields timely. Can you? Can you really? We can't. Uh, I mean, granted, if you're farming one field, then maybe you can. But it's always a challenge, it seems like, to spray everything timely. So I just want you to scout your fields every year. And when you're going to spray post-emerge, you pick that perfect day. You you make sure that the weediest field gets the most timely spray coverage, and you kind of work your way down from there. That usually will make you the most money. Anyway, spray coverage is a really big deal because we want you to get the most effectiveness out of the product you're using. And it's not just herbicides. With fungicides, for example, they move only in the xylem of the plant. So if you don't have great spray coverage on, let's say, the lower leaves of the plant, or even the lower halves of leaves, you won't have disease protection there. And if you're going to spend money, let's say it's 10 or 15 or $20 an acre, wouldn't you like to protect all the leaves or most of the leaves rather than just some of them? I sure would. That's what's going to help you make the most money and help your crop do the best. So spray coverage isn't just about herbicides. It's about fungicides. Sometimes it can be about insecticides. Usually that's not as big a deal because bugs can move, generally speaking, whereas the disease isn't just going to leap from leaf to leaf or move up and down the plant it will. Um, it's kind of there. So anyway, uh, I, I think that's about all I got, Darren, on, on spray coverage. Is there anything else you wanted to hit? Otherwise, you can get back to the mailbag. Let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag again. Uh, I get four soil tests here. And I think we got time to do that for the break. So let's do sure. this one first. Uh, okay, so this comes in from MJ. Uh, my dad and I recently purchased my grandfather's farm, southeast Indiana. And he said, we've done the manual labor out there for years, but now that we've got soil tests, we can see we got some fertility issues we got to work on. Uh, and we plan to build things up over four years in our rotation. Uh, we're going to definitely need some PNK and other things. Wondering if you think shooting for 165 bushel corn is logical. And then uh, you've talked before about microbials and biologicals to help benefit poor soils. Just kind of curious, how do you go about picking products, finding reputable companies, those kinds of things? Uh, just for a reference, many of these fields have had cattle manure uh, and straw bedding applied when able uh, for years. Okay, here's the challenge. You got six to nine CEC, so that's a light soil. It's mostly sand. Yeah, now, pH is pretty good, six two to seven. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, there just there aren't many nutrients out there, so that that's my real concern. I, there's very little phosphorus, not much potassium. I mean, there's some sulfur and things like that, but. I mean, you just need a general increase of overall nutrients, P and K, a little more sulfur, some boron, zinc. And keep in mind, like in nitrogen, sulfur, and boron are going to be leachable in that light of soil. So it's, it is probably going to take multiple applications per year. 
multiple applications per year. So is it possible that you can get what you're talking for for a yield goal? Yeah, that's very realistic. But when you have sand and you don't have irrigation, you have to have constant moisture. So as long as you get that, it's fine. And where you live, you get way more moisture than we do. So if you don't have a blazing hot year and you get decent rain, absolutely. And here's the other thing. When you have, let's say, either lighter soil or when you have um, not much rainfall, then soil fertility becomes tremendously important because your crop's going to use less water when it is well fed. If your crop starts to run short on any one nutrient, what it's going to do is it's going to start pulling more water in because that's how nutrients get into the plant is with water. So you don't want to make your crop a water waster in that type of soil. Now, in terms of the biologicals, I would say, yeah, there are some things that could probably help you. And how do we do it? We just, we honestly try a lot of things and we fail most of the time. And then we stumble upon some things that work great. And then the more that we learn, the more that we say, okay, well, this type of thing doesn't work for us. And that type of thing does in this situation versus that situation, whatever. So it's a lot of work. Um, in, well, I would just say Heat Shield is one product that I immediately am going to think about when we're talking about potential drought, sand, that kind of thing because it's fungal endophytes that live in the plant and help it do well even in stress conditions. But, you know, there are there are a lot of biologicals out there. I talked to some local people, see what they've had for success in your area, try a few things, and go from there. Thanks for the question. Good luck on that new ground. And uh, we'll be right back taking more of your questions after this. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Got this question from Ben, and he wants to talk about smut grass in a Bermuda grass hayfield. He said, guys, I uh, know Velpar L is the only treatment that's labeled probably to control smut grass, but in the liquid form, I'm wondering how much to apply. Here's my situation. I've got a 40-gallon tank sprayer with a handheld wand, and spray. I'm going to spray only the affected areas. Fortunately, smut grass has not yet taken over the entire field, but it is quite dense in certain spots. So, if I'm using that technique of spot spraying, how long should I wait before cutting the hay and baling it? Um, and also just wondering what you think about Velpar and how good a job you think I'll do. Okay, so here in the northern U.S., when people are usually talking to me about Velpar, it has to do with alfalfa, and they're trying to get some broadleaf control, and I usually go, ooh, Velpar is pretty hard on the alfalfa, even though you're going to spray it when it's dormant and everything else. I'm just, I'm not a big fan. Now, in this particular situation, I get it. Yes, it does have at least suppression, uh, a suppression label on, on smut grass. You might get control. Smut grass, by the way, just as a side note here, is called smut grass because the seeds often get ergot, turn black, and look like smut. So, so anyway, yeah, it's a... Uh, uh, not not the best weed that you can have out there. Anyway, the labeled rate for Velpar L is 2.75 pints up to 4.5 pints per acre in your situation. The lower rate, 2.75 pints, is for light soil, and the 4.5 pint rate is for heavy soil. I, I, I mean, you asked about grazing and haying, that kind of thing. Well, there is no restriction unless you're spraying multiple times. 
if you're spraying multiple times, then you can just look at the label. There are a couple different levels, but basically if you go over four and a half pints per acre, you can't cut it at all for feed and you can't graze it until at least 60 days later and even longer if you use a really high rate or in total during the course of the growing season. So that's what I would tell you about Velpar. If you're going to spray anything with a backpack sprayer, please be careful. Use personal protective equipment. And you're, I'm sure, going to ask, well, how much do I put per gallon of water and that kind of thing? I, I can't tell you that because I don't know how fast you're going to walk. So it's always going to be a little bit of trial and error. If you want, you could just put, let's say, one gallon of water, walk, and, and basically measure it out. Okay, how many square feet did I get? And then that would tell you how much you're doing per gallon of water. And then you just kind of go from there. So that's what I do. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes from Matt. And he said, guys, I was reading Neil Kinsey's hands-on agronomy book. And he talks about in lighter soils, a goal of 60% calcium to 20% magnesium. And I realize that's rough and not hard and fast, but I want to try and bring my calcium and magnesium into more balance. So here's some stats on my soils. I've got a pH just below seven. I got low CECs, low cation exchange capacity. So lighter soil, seven to eight. And my calcium right now is at 61% and magnesium at 28%. So I'm thinking about adding gypsum to increase uh, calcium, but also to maybe bring down some magnesium. And I understand that sulfur can attach to excess cations that are in the soil. How do I know that I won't be removing potassium and that I will be removing the magnesium? We're getting decent corn yields, 215 to 245. Uh, just wondering what you think or if there's a different way that I should try to build calcium here in Indiana. Okay, a couple of things. Will gypsum work in your situation? Sure, that's no problem. I, I would just say, though, your, your nutrient levels are good. They're not amazing. And if you're talking about 215 to 245 bushel corn already, you might want to start bumping up the phosphorus, the potassium, the zinc, and definitely the sulfur. Now, granted, the the sulfur, you're going to get that in gypsum. Uh, even copper, you're at 2.2 parts per million. Certainly not bad. But again, if you're starting to talk, you know what, I want 300 bushel corn now. Um, I, I'm, I guess where I'm going with this is you can't just say, Oh, if I just flip my calcium magnesium thing, I'm going to go from 215 to 245 or in that 215, 245 range. And I'm now going to be at 300 bushel corn. Could it be a step? Sure. It will probably help you. You got a couple different ways to look at this. One, you could try to flush more magnesium out with just straight sulfur. Or two, you could do the gypsum like you're talking about and bump calcium have the sulfur that hopefully will flush the magnesium out. You're going to change that calcium-magnesium ratio one way or the other. And I don't think it's it, it's a bad investment here as long as you're not spending crazy money. The other thing, Darren, I was thinking about a product we're going to use on our farm this year, Extricate. Uh, just, there are a lot of high-calcium soils, high-magnesium soils, where we've seen that particular product work well. And I don't even remember what's Extricate again. 
what what is it exactly? Oh, it's organic yeah. acids. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, all I know is we'd done some testing on this product and we'd seen some results, but I, I couldn't remember. We test so many different things. I can't, it's hard for me to remember what, what exactly was in that again, you know, but I, I just say, yeah, you're certainly on the right path here. I'm glad to hear that you are getting the good yields that you are and hopefully things will continue to improve for you over time. But again, I just want to stress your P and K levels are not high. In my book, they're eh, I, they're okay, you know, for 215 bushel corn. Even for 245, I'm a little surprised you're getting there with those kind of levels. So keep pushing the P and K, zinc, a little more copper, definitely sulfur, stuff like that. Just you keep pushing the fertility a little bit more, and I think that's going to make a difference for you as well. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this one that came in from Trent. He said, guys, we farm right along the Minnesota-South Dakota border. We've got heavier soils for the most part, but we do have some lighter soils as well. My questions are around strip-till. Can strip-till be done in the spring with a shank machine, or do you have to go to the coulters? We would prefer, of course, to do fall strip-till, but the weather doesn't always cooperate. Uh, so that's the first question. Got a couple more for you, too. The odds that you're going to make a shank machine work in the spring in your geography are slim. I'd say once every uh, once every three to five years, you'd be fine. The rest of the time, you got to go coulters. So you can run a little more shallow with coulters, and you're not gonna you're not gonna smear things as much, create the compaction. I, I mean, it's just the, when you stop and think about it, like on our farm, we're trying to strip till eight to 10 inches deep with a, sh a shank. Well, it, by the time that ground is fit eight to 10 inches deep, I should have been planting a week or two before that. So it just doesn't work. All right. Next question. He said, uh, what about corn on corn situations? We've got variable soils, like I say, just curious. Fine. I know you guys talk about a chopping corn head. So yep. I'm curious, is that essential to doing this? And then well, there's also, nothing essential, but we have found we're getting better yields that way. So, I mean, that's really what it's all about. We're trying to increase yield. We're trying to make sure we can get the seed out of the ground as quickly as possible. We want it warm. And, yeah, we love the chopping corn head, and we, we do a, a fair amount of strip-till continuous corn. Okay, then the other question, he said, we stay away from, well, a couple more. He said, we stay away from soybeans for two to three years because we're also growing seed oats. So we've oh, got nearly half our acres uh, are two to three years of corn. Sure. Uh, Same just curious, us. what do you think about a strip freshener and also using some nitrogen? You can do that. Uh, for the corn on corn strip till. We don't, we've never used a strip freshener before. I don't have any issue with it if you want to do that. And what was the other thing with corn on corn? Um using some liquid nitrogen as well to help break down the residue. Well, it all depends on how much nitrogen's already there. So in other words, if you've overdone it on nitrogen during the course of the season, you don't need to add more nitrogen. But on the other hand, if your crop just barely made it and you used almost every drop of, of nitrogen that was out there, then you better put some more on. All right. The other thing was about just doing high-speed pro-tilling, what we think about that. It's uh, okay in, in certain situations. If you're trying to get by with less tillage, chop everything up, that's fine. It's less necessary when you're using a chopping corn head, though. Hey, thanks for the questions, Trent. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.